Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll check them out. Johnson'sAirConditioning.com is the website. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is LifeInNaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today. We have special guest Pastor Rick Stevens, the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance, doing terrific work when it comes to public education here in the state of Florida. Also, Michael Cannon is Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Seton Motley is the founder and president of Less Government, and the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, will be joining us as well. It is August the 24th, and on this day in 79 AD, after centuries of dormancy, Mount Vesuvius erupted in south and southern Italy, uh, devastating the prosperous Roman cities of Pompeii and Herculaneum, and killing thousands. The city, buried under a thick layer of volcanic material and mud, was never rebuilt and largely forgotten in the course of history. In the 18th century, Pompeii and uh, Herculaneum was uh, were rediscovered and excavated, provided an unprecedented archaeological record of everyday life of the ancient civilization, amazingly preserved in sudden death. <clears throat> the ancient cities of Pompeii and uh, Herculaneum thrived near the base of Mount Vesuvius at the Bay of Naples. In the time of the early Roman Empire, 20,000 people lived in Pompeii, and uh, including merchants, uh, uh, manufacturers, and farmers who exploited the rich soil of the region with numerous vineyards and orchards. None suspected that the black, fertile earth was the legacy of early eruptions of Mount Vesuvius. Herculaneum was a city of 5,000, a favorite summer destination for rich Romans. Named for the mythic hero Hercules, Herculaneum uh, housed opulent villas and granted Roman baths. At noon on August the 24th, 79 AD, this pleasure and prosperity came to an end with the peak of Mount Vesuvius exploding, propelling 10-mile mushroom cloud of ash and pumice into the stratosphere. For the next 12 hours, volcanic ash and hail of pumice stone up to three inches in diameter showered Pompeii, uh, forcing the city's occupants to flee in terror. Some 2,000 people stayed and uh, holed up in their cellars or stone structures, hoping and to wait out the eruption. A westerly wind protected Herculaneum from the initial stage of the eruption, but then a giant cloud of hot ash and gas surged down the western flank of Vesuvius, engulfing the city and burning it or asphyxiating all who remained. The lethal cloud was followed by a flood of volcanic mud and rock burying the city. According to Pliny the Younger's account, the eruption uh, lasted 18 hours. Pompeii was a uh, buried under 14 to 17 feet of ash and promise, and the nearby seacoast was drastically changed. Herculaneum was uh, buried under more than 60 feet, 60 feet of mud and volcanic uh, material. In 1748, a farmer found traces of uh, Pompeii's beneath his vineyard. Since then, excavations have gone on nearly without interruption until the present. In 1927, the Italian government resumed the excavation of Herculaneum and retrieving numerous art treasures, including bronze and marble statues and paintings. The remains of 2,000 men, women, and children were found at Pompeii. Pompeii. They uh, perished from asphyxiation. Their bodies were covered with ash that hardened and preserved the outline of their bodies. Later, their bodies decomposed to skeletal remains, leaving a kind of plaster mold behind. 
Archaeologists who found these molds filled the hollows with plaster, revealing in grim detail the death pose of the victims of Vesuvius. The rest of the city is frozen in time, and ordinary objects that tell the story of everyday life in Pompeii were as valuable to archaeologists as the great unearthed statues and frescoes. It was not until 1982 that the first human remains were found in Herculaneum, and these hundreds of skeletons bear ghastly burn marks that testify to the horrifying deaths. Today, Mount Vesuvius is the only active volcano on the European mainland. Its last eruption was 1944, and its last major eruption was in 1631. After eruptioning is expected in the near future, which could be devastating for 700,000 people who live in the death zones around Vesuvius. Mount Vesuvius erupted in 72 AD. Well, former President Donald Trump emerged victorious from the opening 2024 Republican primary debate, despite not taking place in, behind the podium center stage. It wasn't there. How could he win? Well, the eight qualifying candidates, uh, Governor Ron DeSantis, entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, former Vice President Mike Pence, former U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations Nikki Haley, and former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, Senator Tim Scott, and former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson and, and Governor Doug Burgum, uh, all desperately requiring airtime to turbocharge their support and fundraising as Trump averaged a 40% point lead over the nearest arrival, DeSantis and Ashley, pitching themselves and undermining one another as voters started tuning in to the election. But some did a better job than others. Fox pushed the topic of climate change for some reason. Vivek uh, Ramaswamy was one of the handful of candidates who insisted that the U.S. southern border is of greater national security concern than uh, Russia's war on Ukraine. The stance drew uh, sharp criticism from Pence and Haley, both of whom supported Kiev's efforts. Christie and Hutchinson were booed. Pence got the most airtime. I think Trump made a good decision by not participating in the debate. I think he won, and he wasn't even, uh, it wasn't even close. Well, of course, uh, while the debate was going on, former President Donald Trump's counter-programming debate was a 46-minute interview with Tucker Carlson and received 33 million views in the first 20 minutes after it was posted at 8.55 p.m. last night. Uh, Tucker's uh, Carlson released the interview five minutes before the debate began at 9 p.m., Fifteen minutes into the debate, uh, the viewer counted uh, displayed 33 million views and surpassed 75 million after 35 minutes. As of 6.20 this morning, Tucker and Trump on X got 147 million views. Kind of raises the question about how many views were there actually for the debate last night. I suspect, oh, maybe three or four million. So uh, needless to say, uh, uh, Trump got the word out, uh, and it was, by the way, an outstanding. That's what we watched. We watched the, watched the interview, and after the 46-minute interview, we turned to the debate and uh, <laughs> watched the candidates have kind of a World Wrestling Federation uh, match up there on the stage. Well, several uh, shares of several banks fell on Tuesday, and this is all because of an S&P Global uh, Moody's cutting its credit rating on some regional lenders. We're going to be talking about that tomorrow with uh, the senior economist from the Competitive Enterprise Institute, Ryan Young. We'll look forward to that discussion to find out what that's all about. Well, two months after he led a revolt against the Kremlin and entrepreneurial warlord Prigozhin, uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin's mercenary muscle-turned-enemy, 
appeared to have died in a plane crash north of Moscow. Prigozhin is listed on the private jet's flight manifest, along with three crew members and six other passengers, all of whom were killed in the crash, a Russian authority said. U.S. officials have not yet been able to verify this, and one person close to the Kremlin said Prigozhin was known to sometimes take a secondary flight or plane out of caution. Unconfirmed reports on Telegram indicate that the Russian forces shot the plane down out of the sky, and Associated Press analysis of videos of the plane said they appear consistent with a mid-flight explosion. If true, it would be aligned with widespread theories that Putin was not done punishing Prigozhin for trying to overtake Moscow in June with his Guns for Hire army, the Wagner Group, which played a major role, of course, in uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine before he took an exile deal that quickly ended an attempted mutiny. Christo Grosev, a journalist who investigates alleged Russian plots and correctly predicted Prigozhin's attempted coup, told the Financial Times a couple of weeks ago, in six months, Prigozhin will either be dead or there will be a second coup. Uh, Grosev's uh, team helped uncover the attempted assassination via nerve agent of jailed opposition leader Alexei Navalny. Last month, President Biden nodded at the possibility of a similar outcome for Prigozhin, saying, if I were he, I'd be careful about what I ate. <laughs> and uh, suspicious circumstances, more than a dozen high-profile critics of the Russian government have died in recent years from apparent poisonings or shootings that Russian authorities tended to investigate as, quote-unquote, suicides. So you don't want to cross Putin if you're in Russia. Well, India on Wednesday made historic uh, landing as it became the first country in the world to launch its spacecraft near the moon's South Pole, an uncharted territory that scientists believe could hold vital reserves of frozen water and the fourth country to achieve a moon landing. Uh, landed with the rover inside, touched down on the lunar surface at 6.04 local time, sparking cheers and applause among the space scientists watching in the southern Indian city. After a failed attempt in 2019, India now joins the United States, the Soviet Union, and China in reaching this milestone. And uh, the, the race is on. I think also Japan, if I'm not mistaken, is also going to attempt a landing on the uh, south pole of the moon, where it never has light, minus 300 degrees. Anyhow, apparently this is going to be an important area for launching future flights into greater outer space. That would be the moon. While most government officials would uh, see a trip to Hawaii as an opportunity to address the recent tragedy near Lahaina, it seems that FEMA officials saw it as an opportunity for something quite different. While the people of Hawaii grapple with serious disaster, FEMA officials have been enjoying all the amenities that come with a $1,000 a night plus hotel. The revelation has sparked outrage, uh, with many seeing this as a blatant display of disregard for the dire situation at hand. FEMA teams have checked into three five-star hotels, the Fairmont Kia Lani, the Four Seasons, and our favorite, the Grand Wiley Resort, where past guests included members of Hollywood's elite. The rooms carried price tags that were well out of reach of most hardworking Americans. Federal government rates for this week at, the, at all three resorts started an eye-watering $1,000 per night. The news comes in stark contrast to pleas from FEMA's administrator, Deanne C Criswell, who has been vocal about the agency's lack of funds. Now, doesn't this sound like government funding? 
They're spending all this money, obviously, uh, and, and then coming back to the government saying we need more. She repeatedly stated that FEMA needs more taxpayer money to adequately respond to disasters like the one in Hawaii. She said during an interview with Face of the Nation, our estimates do s- still say that we may have a depletion of our fund now that it's pushed into the middle of September. And as we get closer to that, I mean, this is a day-by-day monitoring of, sit- of the situation. President Biden asked Congress earlier this month for $12 billion to replenish the disaster fund to address the response to the wildfires and other natural disasters. Congress, of course, is on uh, recess until after Labor Day. But nevertheless, this is let's go spend the money, show people where we run out of money and see if we can't get a bigger and bigger budget. That's government work for you. So sad. Can you imagine how tone deaf can you be? This is just the visuals. Uh, of this, of these people, FEMA officials staying at the finest hotels in all of Maui in order to uh, respond to the situation of the disaster in Lahaina. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to be visiting uh, with uh, William Yateman. He is a senior, I'm sorry, uh, with uh, Pastor Rick Stevens. Pastor Rick Stevens is the uh, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. 
or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. I just want to remind you that Lulabee's Diner serves great breakfasts and lunches. Well, now, Wednesday through Saturday, 4 to 8 p.m., they're serving great dinners. Uh, the menu's terrific, and the food is just great value. We enjoy it once a week, and I hope you'll consider going to Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center for, for, for dinner, Wednesday through Saturday, 4 to 8 p.m. We have with us Pastor Rick Stevens. He is a, a co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Pastor Rick, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Always a pleasure, Bob. Look forward to it. Thank you, Pastor Rick. So tell us about the Florida Citizens Alliance. Well, the Florida Citizens Alliance is a pretty simple group. We're just people, like everybody listening, like both of us, that care a lot about kids and their education, and we want to help them get the best education possible. Because of that, we try to be the voice for all of the people that do care about kids, the grandparents, the moms and dads, the aunts and uncles, and we try to represent them in places where important decisions are made, and we take the problems that they discover and find solutions for them and encourage those same decision makers to make good decisions that will solve these problems and help our kids not make it difficult for them, but make it easy for them to learn and to support them in their educational challenges. And doing it in so many different ways and just really appreciate the work. What you've accomplished, quite frankly, your achievements are just terrific. We have school choice, number one in, in the nation in terms of Florida and school choice. Scholarships now, I understand from the governor that we have now, over 400,000 scholarships applied for in the state of Florida. That really represents an opportunity in school choice. So, again, GoFLCA is the website, GoFLCA.com. So, uh, Pastor Rick, uh, this is a little bit off topic of uh, education, but I understand that uh, the Florida Citizens Alliance has participated in what's happening in Collier County with regard to uh, uh, an ordinance. Yes, we have been. This has been in the works for a couple of years, and finally it was passed this week. Uh, It's relative to and called the Bill of Rights Sanctuary County Ordinance, and people think that that might not be related to education, but really if we had better civics education, I think people would recognize its value right away. Now, I think about this a little differently than some people do. They don't disagree with me, and I don't disagree with them. But a lot of people start with the recognition that we've seen an awful lot, and we have, of federal government overreach in all kinds of ways. And so people have been trying to push back against that. Well, at that point, the argument becomes, is there really overreach or is there not? And that goes on and And I think we can demonstrate that there is and there has been and there likely will be. But there's another way to think about this ordinance that protects our rights. If people go back to the Declaration of Independence, and we hear the words from this declaration often, and we kind of honor them and revere them, but we don't often think about what they really say. But in the second paragraph, it says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. And that's the part we miss. Our government's primary function, and I don't think we enforce that often enough, our government's primary function at all levels is to protect 
and ensure that the people's rights are protected. And that's what this ordinance does. And I think if we all realized that that's the primary purpose of government, we would have been supporting it. And I think if we all realized that, it would have been unanimous on the on the county commission instead of a four to one vote. We've got to teach people, and that's part of what we work on in education, is to help people understand how our government is designed to work and how it's supposed to work to preserve our rights, yeah. not to give us rights or to infringe them, but to preserve them. Thank you, Pastor Rick. So uh, in my mind, this uh, ordinance is uh, if there is government overreach and it comes down to some sort of a confrontation about uh, trying to enforce uh, uh, activities that are uh, unconstitutional, it basically says that not here in Collier County, you can't do that. It kind of, I think, empowers the sheriff's office and others to uh, protect us uh, from that kind of intrusion into our rights. Would that be correct? I agree completely, and I think that's exactly the point. We need those people to protect our rights, mm-hmm. and we need to give them every tool that, that they need to do that. I, I would say with the purists, we probably shouldn't have to need an, an ordinance like this, but the fact is we do because yeah. we've slipped so far, right. and I think it's an excellent step in the right direction because it says, particularly you mentioned the sheriff, it says to the sheriff, we not only want you to, we expect you to protect the rights of the people, and we're going to do everything we can to make sure you understand that and the people understand that. Yeah, very well said, Pastor. So uh, changing the topic, uh, in, in Tallahassee, I know that you're always up there. You're, you're uh, interacting with the Department of Education, the governor's office, the legislature. Uh, any updates for us? Oh, yeah, we, we are active, and we are up there. In fact, we have a team in Tallahassee today, interestingly enough, that's meeting with some key decision makers. And uh, one of the things that we do is we interact with the Department of Education. Uh-huh. And we've been fortunate to, to have real opportunities to talk to the people that make important decisions up there. And one of those relates to the State Board of Education. Some people may be aware the State Board of Education met in Collier County yesterday. And one of the things that the State Board of Education does is they make rules that help implement legislation. And so we pay attention to that and try to to keep up up to date on what's going on. And one of the things that they were addressing at yesterday's meeting were the rules related to H. Bill 106, HB, House Bill 1069. That bill gives parents the opportunity, the, the right to object to materials that are in their child's classroom. Hmm. And so we take a look at that kind of thing and see what they're doing. And we discovered, and we don't know how it happened, but we discovered that they had some serious flaws in the rules that they were implementing. And so we reached out to the Department of Education right away. A couple of us on the team wrote up a a two-page document to explain our concerns and try to get their attention, and we did. And they responded, and they said, you know, we think you have some valid concerns. Well, we were glad for that. The uh, challenge was we were under pressure of time because of this board meeting coming up. This was late last week and then on Monday of this week. And so one of the things that, that we have appreciated about the Department of Education is that they have been responsive and cooperative to our concerns. And we, we really don't like the rule that they, that they were addressing. We wanted them to pull it and do it again. But we have also made every effort not to embarrass the people involved because we think a lot of them are operating with good faith at this point. Yeah. And so we expressed our concerns at the meeting on Wednesday, and they assured us, this was all behind the scenes ahead of time, and we, we decided to take them at their word, 
they assured us they would address our concerns and fix the problem because they would the problem as it exists now would allow people to dismiss a parent's objections to materials on a technicality. And we think that's entirely beyond the intent of the legislation, the language of the legislation, and it violates the spirit and intent of all of the parents' rights in education legislation. So sometimes what we do isn't very obvious, and sometimes we get things fixed in kind of behind-the-scenes ways, but that's the way government works, and we've been really grateful that the department's been willing to talk to us and, and to address these kinds of concerns. We, we just think they made a mistake. Yeah. And rather than embarrass them, we just wanted to fix it. Well, and, and it also speaks to the fact that you're a, you've been a trustworthy partner in the uh, public education in Florida, um, and you've uh, paved the way for a relationship with their trust as a parent. And so therefore, I mean, they will cooperate with you and support you because of what you've been able to do for public education in Florida. Well, we think they've learned to trust us, and, and we've, we've worked real hard to earn that, and we want them to, to have confidence, and, and if we're wrong, we expect them to tell us. I mean, we're not, we're not touchy about that kind of stuff, right. but if we raise important issues, we expect them to respond, and, and that's a good working relationship. I think that's the way government ought to work with the people, is to be responsive and cooperative, and let's solve this problem. Absolutely. Thankfully, we've been able to do that on many, many levels and in many ways. Absolutely. And I just encourage our listeners to go to the website. It's a very robust website on public education. It's goflca.com. Goflca.com. Pastor Rick, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. Always a pleasure. My pleasure indeed. All right. Coming up, uh, Michael Cannon, Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Golf Shore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Golf Shore Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities with dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region. Gulf Shore Playhouse is building a 44,000-square-foot state-of-the-art theater and education center on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, the state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about this season's exciting productions, Visit GulfShorePlayhouse.org. That's GulfShorePlayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show.
welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Right now, we have with us Michael Cannon. He is the director of health policy studies at the Cato Institute. Michael, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Great to be back. Thank you, Michael. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank in Washington, D.C. We advocate the traditional American ideals of individual liberty, limited government, free markets, and peace. Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O.org, terrific, uh, very uh, robust website. So, uh, Michael, uh, did you uh, watch the debate last night? I did. I slogged through it. How about you? Well, I actually watched uh, Tucker Carlson's interview with uh, former President uh, Donald Trump, which, by the way, has 147 million views so far. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which is just incredible. But then we did turn into the debate and watched them kind of, it was kind of like the World Wrestling Federation match there. What What were your thoughts? Well, I got a joke for you. What do Republicans and Christian scientists have in common? Boy, that's a tough one. I'm not sure. What? They don't do health care. <laughs> the topic never came up, huh? So uh, it did, but only in passing, you know, COVID restrictions or a particularly um, ironic moment when Mike Pence said no one is talking about Medicare reform, when he uh, worked in and boasted about the record of the Trump-Pence administration, which uh, refused uh, to uh, touch the Medicare program or the Medicaid or the, uh, the Social Security program uh, on orders from President Trump himself, and which discouraged other Republicans from doing so. Uh, which was, a, I think, a, a tragic misstep. Uh, but then they moved on from, from, from that uh, ironic or even hypocritical moment uh, to basically ignore health care reform for the rest of the debate. Yeah, it's kind of ironic because they got in so much trouble back when Romney was running, you know, pushing the, the grandma over the cliff and all that type of thing by bringing up uh, Social Security and Medicare. So, uh, you know, clearly Republicans want to stay away from that, but they should because both programs are in big, big trouble. They need fixes. If you look at the projections about the growth in federal spending and the growth in federal debt over the coming decades, you will see that it is all health care spending. All the growth will come from programs, primarily Medicare, but also Medicaid, uh, Obamacare, the Veterans Health Administration. And uh, because of the sh- share of GDP, those programs are growing uh, in a way that Social Security is not and that other federal spending is not. So if you want to get the federal budget under control, you have got to reform Medicare, Medicaid, Obamacare, the Veterans Health Administration, and all federal health spending. But that's not even the most important reason to do it. The most important reason to do it is that a lot of people are getting very lousy health care because the Medicare program punishes high-quality care and rewards low-quality care. The same thing happens in Medicaid. The same thing happens in Obamacare. And... Uh, and and so the, that I think that is even, an even more compelling reason. Uh, fortunately, there are reforms that will allow you to do both things at the same time: to restrain the growth of spending in these programs, to reduce the burden 
that they impose on taxpayers and improve the quality of care that patients receive. No question, Mike. I mean, it's just uh, we need to do everything in our power to get government out of the private sector, and that would include health care and, and retirement programs for sure. And the consequences, we're seeing um, amazing price increases in health care, uh, which are, don't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. You know, we, we're seeing a reduction in the number of health care providers across the country. I think it's because it's becoming a less attractive uh, profession uh, because of the government interference. It certainly is. The profession of uh, medicine, the profession of nursing, and just the healthcare workforce broadly could look much different, uh, would look much different, and I think job satisfaction among healthcare professionals would be much higher if the government never got involved in trying to improve the quality of care uh, uh, by creating barriers to entry and competition in the uh, in the market for those services. Absolutely. So, Michael, before I let you go, you wrote a piece, uh, a blog in uh, Cato at Liberty. How do you solve a problem like Maria's rescind Biden's short-term plans proposal? Well, in it, yeah, it suggests that uh, uh, Biden wants to do away with short-term plans, which are basically a savior for a lot of people. Can you tell us about it? Sure. So uh, this is a piece about um, uh, a woman I know who is uh, going to be entering a convent. She's going to be uh, a postulant, as they call it. Uh, she's going to study to become a Catholic nun. Uh, she's an immigrant to the United States. And uh, I call her Maria, naming her after the Julia, her after the Julia, Julie Andrews character in The Sound of Music. And she faces a problem, which is that she wants to obtain health insurance, uh, but her income is going to be very low. And you would think that that makes her eligible for uh, a program like Medicaid. Uh, actually, she's not eligible for that program uh, because uh, her immigration status makes her ineligible for that program. And uh, it also makes her ineligible for subsidies uh, under Obamacare because her income is too low, ironically too low to receive a subsidy. So she wanted to enroll in an Obamacare plan. It would cost at least one third of her very low income as a as a student in this convent. There is a type of health insurance out there that is much more affordable than Obamacare that uh, that she would be able to purchase uh, and probably afford where the premiums would only be from $1,000 to $5,000 per year. Uh, we call it short-term health insurance. Uh, unfortunately, President Biden has just proposed rules that would force any short-term plan carrier that Maria chooses, uh, force those carriers to throw her out of that plan after just four months. Wow. So that if she enrolls in January... Then uh, by uh, uh, January, February, March, April, uh, May of that year, the her health insurance company would throw her out of that plan. And if she developed an expensive illness in the meantime, she would then have no health insurance for months and months until she could enroll in Obamacare the following January, if she can enroll in Obamacare, yeah. because she might not still might not be able to afford it because uh, no subsidy and, uh, again, no Medicaid. So uh, what this Biden proposal 
uh, would do is the, the purpose of it is to force people out of short-term plans and into Obamacare, right. even though Congress made short-term plans exempt from Obamacare and and didn't say anything about throwing people out of those plans and exposing them to medical underwriting and canceled coverage and un, uh, being uninsured. Uh, but President Biden and his uh, uh, health care advisors are so convinced that Obamacare is the best and should be the only way that people obtain, uh, like Marie, obtain health insurance, that uh, they want to cut off other options, even at the cost of leaving them uninsured uh, and unable to afford the medical care that they need. Well, let's hope that uh, somehow Congress responds to this. I just just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Again, uh, Michael Cannon, Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Cato.org is the website. Michael, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Anytime, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up. We're going to be visiting with uh, Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Two-thirds of parents prefer educational options for their children, with 40% strongly preferring options for their child's education. School choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit corporation, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior quality schools of choice. Optima's goal was the successful launch of Hillsdale College Varney Charter School, Initiative Classical Academies, and other schools of excellence across the state of Florida, serving kindergarten through the 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through a content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. In a terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy has already opened here in Naples. You can find out more by visiting the website Optima.Foundation. Help children in Florida optimize their educational opportunities. Visit www.Optima.Foundation. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now I'll play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by Golf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. You can find out more and get tickets to some great performances. The website is golfshoreplayhouse.org. 
Coming up, we're going to visit with the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Right now we have with us Seton Motley. Seton is the founder and president of Less Government. Seton, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Seton. Tell us about Less Government. I can't. We're not doing it. Yeah. Um, I believe in the size, scope, and sphere of influence of government should be reduced. Substantially. And uh, we're going in the wrong direction, unfortunately. Did you watch the debate last night? I did. Um, I was playing PlayStation Baseball, or Xbox <laughs> Baseball, while I was, while I was doing it. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's, like, it's like the uh, dwarves showed up without Snow White. Um, <laughs> and the Keebler and, elves. Yeah, I mean, look, um, I, I like Vivek Ramaswamy. Yeah. Um, he, he's, um, you know, he was the only one, for example, you had several cl- uh, candidates buy into the whole premise of climate change, which is a total, a complete and utter lie. Yeah. And Vivek Ramaswamy was the one person who said, it's a total scam, it's not true, we don't need to do anything about it. But burn coal, burn fossil fuels, we're fine. Right. Was, he's the only one that said that. In the Republican debate. Right. It's, it's, um, so I, I like him. Um, uh, I, that, I don't know. Like I said, like I said it's, uh, you know, it was like the dwarves showing up without Snow White to play basketball. You know, uh, Seton, uh, last night, of course, Trump had some uh, counter-programming with his interview with Tucker Carlson. <laughs> yes. And it's, so far this morning at 6.20, by 6.20 this morning, there were 147 million views. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who uh, won I, the debate? I, I think Trump won the debate. I, well, yeah, yeah, um, on ex-Twitter. Um, yeah. <laughs> But um, yeah, it's it, it's, it's it, Tucker Carlson, of course. You know, he, it, it was. I remember when when Beck left Fox, yeah, he, and 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 O'Reilly for that matter. They had more viewers at their time slots than Tucker Carlson did when he left. Yeah, and I remember when Beck started his website. I said, if he takes ten percent of his audience at twenty dollars a month, he's going to do it quite well. And yeah, that's what that's. I don't know what percentage he took with him, but obviously he's making millions of dollars a month yeah. on his own. So, um, yeah, so yeah, that 147 million views in, in 12, what is it, 12 hours? What's it been? Yeah, it's, not it's, even 12 hours. It's amazing. Um, and I, I yeah. would imagine, I would imagine that the debate itself on Fox probably got maximum four million views. That would be my that would be my guess. Yeah. Yes, and um, and again, this is, you know. It's going to be interesting to see, with uh, because Tucker was smart to do this. Other people have been doing this uh, with small audiences, but they've been doing it. If uh, channels like Fox, they're going to have to start just hanging their programs on 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 internet for free if they want to compete with this. Because okay, they, you had four million viewers at the time of the of the debate. Now what? No one can see it anymore. Right. You can go back and rewatch. You know, because I, I, you know, we don't know on Twitter. You've seen 147 million views. I'm not saying this is a huge percentage, but a, a percentage of that is people watching it more than once. Right. Um. There's got there, there is a way technologically to to do what's called unique views, meaning unique new individual viewers, not one person watching it six times. Well, and the same um, at the by the same token, you may have one uh, computer on uh, viewing this thing with six people watching. So, uh, and, well, that that's true, and that, and that of course you cannot um, compute yet. 
unless they're already watching you much more closely through your computer screen than I realize. Well, it gives me an opportunity to kind of promote what we're doing here with the fact of the matter is on the Bob Horton Show or Tucker Carlson. You can watch the thing when you want to or listen to it when you want oh, to. That's, that's what I mean. That's what I, that's what I meant when Fox News and all these channels are going to have to just start giving away their video after it airs. You know, after they air it live and, and, and ring out the money from that, if they want to compete with these new, like you said, alternative uh, mediums, they're going to have to engage the alternative mediums and start doing what they what they offer, which is just hang it there for free forever. Yeah. Well, Seton, you uh, and we're kind of getting off topic here because I want to talk to you, <laughs> talk to you about your column, which is terrific. Yeah, you go to lessgovernment.org, you'll find uh, one plus trillion credit card debt. Bidenomics is great for big, big banks, and of course, terrible for everybody else. Uh, can you make a couple comments about it? Sure. Uh, what I, you know, uh, I'm I'm a fan of making fun of Andrew Ross Sorkin, one of the hosts of uh, Squawk Box on CNBC, and on August 9th he had this great moment of complete lack of self awareness. He did a, a a big segment on the record credit card debt. We passed one trillion dollars of credit card debt on August 9th, and he did this 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 big segment on wow new record credit card debt blah blah blah. Then three minutes later they did a segment on Bidenomics. And he he said, stared blankly into space and said, "I don't understand why so why more people aren't pleased with Bidenomics <laughs> and why they don't want to vote for it, you know, next November." And I'm like, "You just did a segment on record credit card debt, you moron!" <laughs> um, you know, I was just like, "Wow, wow!" And this is the same guy, by the way, who wrote the 2009 book "Too Big to Fail" about the global banking collapse yeah. from the perspective of the big banks. Yeah, which to which to me is like writing from the perspective, you know, writing about the fall of man and the Garden of Eden from the perspective of the snake. Um, so, yeah, so he's just he's just a big bank apologist. Of in May, he said maybe we don't need a bunch of small banks anymore. Maybe we can make do with just three or four big banks. Oh, really? I'm sure the thousands of banks and the millions of poor people who are customers would love to go, to do that. Yeah, Titanic chill for the. Big business cabal. Well, what, um, what about free markets and enterprise? I mean, it's it's just that that kind of he's well, a. Well, it's just it's 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 funny, you know. It's funny that you know he's looking at the world through the modern big government prism, right? And he does, and he thinks, well, the, the little go and, and doesn't realize that government is strangling these little banks. It's not that the market is killing them; it's that government is killing them, right? At the at the request and behest of big banks, by the way. Uh, you know, with Dodd Frank and other uh, stupid laws and regulations, right. and so, you know, and when when I when we say we want X, you know, X to happen in the economy, like, what are you anti free market? I'm like, this isn't a free market. What are you talking about? This is not a free market. Um, so, so yeah. So anyway, my point was, the big banks are benefiting from this because. You know, this is one plus trillion dollars on their credit cards at their ridiculous interest rates. And the worse the economy gets, the more groceries people have to put on their credit cards. Oh, and by the way, 
the percentage of people who've carried debt more than a year is up 60% over last year at this time. Unbelievable. Seton Motley, again, the founder and president of Less Government. Uh, I would love to extend the conversation, but i got to run on. But I do, I do encourage... I you got to talk to the mayor. Yeah. <laughs> I do encourage our listeners to go to lessgovernment.org and check out Seton's writings. Also, you can visit uh, Less Government on Facebook. Seton, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much, sir. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we are going to be visiting with the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. If you have questions about your retirement, Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate courtyard garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean dining room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round, Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Hartman Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. Uh, they help prepare elected officials to have winning strategies in the legislature and do a great job. You can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We have with us the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Bill, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Bob, it's my my pleasure. My pleasure. Yeah, always uh, a pleasure, I- Bill. So any and, any good scoop here from the Paradise Coast? Well, yeah, from the Paradise City, yeah. <laughs> Naples. Well, um, council uh, uh, met last week, um, and um, they uh, they got into this long tirade about State Bill Two Hundred and Fifty, which which they've been talking about and we've been talking about, um, uh, and they are upset about it and about what it's doing and that they're taking control, this bill is taking control and not letting them uh, do things that they need to do, uh, like passing ordinances and things like that after Hurricane Ian. 
And um, so yesterday um, on, a, on another um, radio show, uh, Drew Steele, um, the, he had the state senator, Jonathan Martin, who's co-sponsor of that bill, hmm. on to explain, because we've been getting a lot of calls on that and, uh, you know, why is the city of Naples opposing this and what have you. And uh, he kind of really lit into him. He said, first of all, he really explained it carefully. He said there's 17 parts to that bill. He said, and uh, he said the bottom line was on that bill where it passed in the Senate um, 39-0, and there were only four out of 160 in the legislature that voted against it, if that tells you something. Um, It it was put out there... um, to protect those that had severe damage, like an example, like one of the examples would be um, the city would never let you put a trailer in your yard hooked up to your house, you know, that was damaged and whatever. Um, and then one of the, this is one of the things those bills covers and says, yeah, of course, if they're rebuilding their house and they, they have a trailer and they, they want to put it there so they can be there and hook up, you know what I mean? The electricity they could, there's just a, there's just, so many different things. Like I said, there's 17 parts to it. And um, he basically said he doesn't understand. um, He said that the the city is now asking for someone to tell them uh, uh, they're asking advice from the state um, to tell them uh, uh, the reason why they're doing this to them. And basically he said, the city of Naples is taking care of the, uh, is taking advantage of their residents. Period. He says, and he doesn't understand it one bit, um, and neither does anybody else. And he said, you know, what happens is the, the the decisions have already been made. Okay, the bill is already in effect, and he he said, I don't understand what they possibly would be looking for. That you know, the, everything is already done. Yeah, um, it's just to protect the people, and. Uh, so, and Gary Price last week, uh, the first, he, he showed up down there at the meeting. The first thing I think I might have told you, the first thing he said to counsel in front of uh, the mayor, and, and he says, we're getting bad legal advice. And, uh, you know, that kind of stopped the clock for a minute. And, uh, and, and this was before Senator uh, Martin had come on uh, the air. Um, and it's true. Um, I don't know uh, where they're coming from, uh, um, but um, it's not over by a long shot. But the residents haven't seen this, and it was it was on the radio, Bob, and so this needs to be transcribed and put into writing so that the people can see it because he really spelled everything out. Oh, here's what I don't understand. Here's what I don't understand, Bill. Uh, the The bill is in writing. Uh, makes me wonder if anybody's read the bill on city council. No, no, and 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 you want to know something? He said. He said. He said during the legislative session. He says I didn't see one person from Naples up here. Yeah, not one person. Okay, um, and then he mentioned something else. He says not one person from Naples, and he says Vice Mayor McCabe made some remarks. Um, I don't remember exactly what it was, but uh, uh, was so way off. Was way off target. But um, uh, so yeah. I mean, what, what can I tell you? It's, it's a mess down there. Yeah. Um, but um, we'll uh, we'll watch. We'll get. Close, we're getting. You know, we'll get closer to uh, city elections. Uh, 
and not that far away. And now that we're back into the uh, fall sessions and everything, um, uh, we'll, uh, the week should be interesting. I think you'll see some candidates announcing uh, come the end of this month, um, end of September for sure, or beginning of October. And uh, um, we'll see what happens because right now, um, you know, the, the rumor is, is that Ted Blankenship is going to run for mayor and um, that uh, it just seems to me there's some confusion down there. So as usual, but uh, yeah, I think the bottom line, I'll say it is uh, that the mayor's got to go. Yeah, well, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of us, and I, I'm included in this group that would love to see Bill Barnett run for mayor again. Uh, no, you're not going to see that. <laughs> well, I, you made that clear, but I, nevertheless, I think it would be good for the city of Naples, and uh, that's what we miss well, is good leadership. So, well, thanks. I, I appreciate that. I, uh, as I said to you, I said, you know, I'm going to, I'm sitting and, and watching and taking all of this in, and uh, uh, but I would like to see Gary. Uh, I'd like to see Gary Price as mayor. Um, I think he would do a tremendous job. He Absolutely. certainly understands the city. He understands the politics. He gets along with people. And um, uh, it would make life a lot easier for the residents in the city. And he's, um, and he's, prud he's prudent. He has good decision-making capabilities, and he makes good. Right. I think he'd be outstanding as a mayor. And I, right. Would you consider running for city council? Yeah. I mean, that's under consideration, but... Um, um, Chris and I both decided that, look, you know, there's no sense, um, um, go blasting in there and, and announcing and saying, I'm going to do that. And the other thing, I just need to watch and just see what, what everybody else is kind of doing. You know, I do. I'm hoping that, you know, there, there, there should be some new council candidates in there that are, uh, in the younger generation that, um, that are, are working and, uh, um, that have an interest in, in city politics. But anybody that watches those meetings, Bob, you can understand why they wouldn't. Hey, briefly, uh, you watched the debate last night? I watched I, I watched a little. I watched Tucker Carlson's uh, interview with uh, uh, President Donald Trump. That was a 46-minute interview, and then I turned it on to the debate. I'm happy. Oh, ha really? Have you seen, have you seen Tucker's interviews? We've had, there's been a no. 147 million views of it so far. Oh, my God. <laughs> so wow. You ought to check it out. It's really, as usual, every interview that Tucker does is outstanding. But nevertheless. Yeah, well, I'm sure we can get that. Uh, I'm sure we can get that. Yeah. No doubt about it. We'll do that. And then we, we, watched, we watched the debate last night, and... Uh, you know, it, it seemed to me that uh, if you ha had to judge all of them, uh, I think Ryan DeSantis probably still stood out there better uh, than any of the other ones. But I would, <laughs> I would say there were some some. Re re there, you have to watch that too. You do. Yeah. yeah. Well, I tell you, in, in my in my view, uh, uh, President Trump won the debate, and he wasn't even there. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's true. And the more that they got on his case, the more the people booed. Yeah, the ones that were were doing that. So uh, it'll be interesting, Bob, for sure, for sure. Bill, you know what? I, I always appreciate your commentary here in the show. Bring us up to date on what's happening locally, but also comments on the the national scene as well. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, my pleasure, and you have a good day, and uh, uh, we'll speak soon. Thanks so much, Bill. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. If you enjoyed the show, I hope you tell your friends. That's one of the ways we support our advertisers. Uh, I really, really appreciate you turning into the show, and thank you so much for your support. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Namaste.
Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>